Hi, and welcome to the Ethnos New Brunswick podcast. We're so glad you're joining us. Ethnos is a new organization looking to join in the holistic, community-transforming work happening in Highland Park and New Brunswick. Part of that includes thinking about the spiritual health and vitality of our community. Each week, our gathering is meant to give our community a safe and helpful place for that. Today's episode, Renewal Begins Here, is the first in our series called Surprising How Easter Changes Everything, with the conversation being led by speaker Yukon Chu. We're going to continue on with our time here this morning in what we call a uh, moment of discussion, reflection, and meditation. Specifically, we're going to do that through the teachings and the person and life of Jesus. Now, we do this every week because we believe that while spirituality and while our city needs a spirituality, and, and spirituality can be found in all sorts of places, we believe there's something unique about Jesus. There's something unique about the way he taught, the way he lived. There's something unique about the scriptures he gave us. And so while we'll focus on that, we definitely welcome those of you from different faith backgrounds or traditions to bring what you have to the table uh, to converse and discuss with us. I want to get started, as usual, uh, with a question, especially since uh, today is kind of like the, today's the final weekend before spring officially starts, right? Am I getting that right on the calendar? Right. Okay, just, I was just want to make sure because it got really warm this week and it threw me off. It throw you off too. It definitely threw me off. But um, I thought we'd get started with this question, especially as we transition into spring and as we get a whole new series of conversations started here at Not Us. Here's, here's the question right before we head into spring. Where do you feel worn out right now? In what area of your life does it feel like, man, winter has been much too long and it's time for spring? Why don't you turn to your uh, table partners real quick and just for the next minute or so. Just share your initial reaction, initial answer to this question, all right? Let, let's take a quick, uh, quick temperature reading in the room here this morning. How many of us, how many of us had an easy answer to this? How many of us feel a little worn out right now in this, in this moment? Okay, yeah, wow, look at that. Yeah, the majority of the room, okay. Who wants to share a little bit with us? Just, yeah, where are you feeling worn out right now? What's, what's been happening that makes you feel tired? Um... A little tired of waiting on clarity. Yeah. <laughs> Dang, girl. Man, you just hit it on the... Everyone was like, oh, you heard it. You heard it. Wow, okay. Thanks, Wanda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what's it Bruce had to do? Yes, with, we sit here and we conclude we're tired of hating all this foolishness going on in the world and we're just waiting for Jesus. Can we get an amen to that one, too? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. No, thank you, Bruce and Deborah. Yeah. What else? What else? What are we getting tired of? What's, where, what's wearing us down right now? Anybody else? Yeah, we'll go back there. We'll back, go back there. Is there somebody over there? Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Um, I think I personally feel worn out in, like, the physical aspect. Um, I'm a junior in high school, so all the SAT, AP, all that stuff is just coming like an avalanche. Um, so <laughs> so it, I think, yeah, I'm definitely tired physically, um, but like that also impacts like the mental like health, definitely. So, you know, just trying, I guess, to balance both of them out because you can't have one without the other. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Man, let's, let's give it up for Jenny and the a junior in high school. Did anybody have like flashbacks right there of like... Some 
even traumatic moments with your junior year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, anybody else? Anybody else? What, what are we feeling tired about? What's, what's been wearing us out in this season? Anybody else? Yeah, yeah. The demands of my job has been very, yes, tiring. Yeah. Mentally exhausting. Mentally exhausting. Yeah, let's give it up for Dan. Yeah, how many of us... How many of us can relate to that? Yeah, we can probably relate to that, right? You know, it's, it's interesting, uh, environmentally speaking, you know, or just with the seasons, that it tends to me, I, I think, just here in, in our part of the U.S. and in, in Jersey here, you know, March is long, right? March can be very long, or February can be really long. And, and as, as spring comes, it's so important for us to take a pause. And, and I think God created the seasons for us to help us continue to move forward in our life. And not only did God create seasons, God also uh, created the calendar system. And, and we're kind of in this moment right now at the beginning of spring where we really think here at Ethnos that in order to enjoy and thrive in a spirituality, it's important for us to reflect. It's important to reflect on the meaning of spring, but more specifically, this event that is tied in with spring in the journey of Jesus, specifically this event called Easter. Now, many of you are aware of Easter because Easter is this national phenomenon now in the United States. Uh, you're familiar with the eggs and the bunnies and all those sorts of things, and you're familiar with how it's supposed to somehow be tied in with spring. However, um, as we look at Jesus and how he thought about spirituality and life and all these things, Easter actually has a much different meaning from what we're kind of used to. Specifically, Easter, uh, some 2,000 years ago when Jesus was here, was about his death on a cross and his resurrection from the dead. I thought it'd be interesting and important for us to go back some 2,000 years ago and reflect on Easter, the first Easter. Because I think as we do that and think about where we are right now, just in our general life, in this season, in the specific situations you may have thought about with this opening question, I think all of us are looking for a sense of renewal here. I think all of us long for a sense of renewal every day, really, as we look to understand spirituality, as we look to thrive in our spirituality, as we look to be holistic people in our city and in our community. And so I'd like for us actually to hit the rewind button just for this brief moment this morning and look at some stories from the first Easter. In fact, I, I'm going to have us look at the first moments where Jesus himself actually talks about Easter and have us think through and meditate on those sayings to see if we might glean something important for us here today some 2,000 years later. You, if you have a moment, take a, take a look at the uh, excerpts here on your tables. And uh, I've included three excerpts here today uh, with uh, three corresponding thoughts uh, for our time here. These stories, as uh, you might know, uh, are from about 2,000 years ago, and they come when Jesus is at the age of 33, okay? Jesus is a young guy here in these stories. Um, and what is happening, before we jump into these stories, is three years prior, so at the age of 30, 
Jesus began his public life. Up till about the age of 30, we don't know much about Jesus, actually. But at the age of 30, he begins his public life of teaching, of healing, of telling people about God and what God was about, how God's love was coming into this world in a new sort of way. But believe it or not, for the first three years of his public life, he never talked about the events of Easter. He didn't talk about his death. He didn't talk about his resurrection. It just wasn't part of the conversation. However, at 33, with just a few months to go before he goes through a death and resurrection, he begins that conversation. And we're going to look at these first few moments when he begins that conversation. And just like the series title we have here for the series, surprising, needless to say, people were surprised. They're surprised at what was about to happen because they just didn't think, wait a second, you're, you're like this Messiah figure. You're the savior of the world kind of figure. You're not supposed to die. But even more surprising, as he talked about that first Easter, he gave us principles of spiritual life and fullness and abundance that ring true even today. Let's take a look at these first few stories. I'll read through them. I'll read through one, kind of pause, talk about it. I'll read through the second and then the third, and then we'll kind of turn back to our table partners and reflect on these stories together. And so the first story goes like this. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. This is in the ancient Roman Empire, one of the cities on the eastern side of the empire. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And so they kind of bring up these names of famous Jewish religious leaders. Like, Jesus, you're like one of those old Jewish religious leaders. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? Peter, one of the 12 disciples, answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. So this is the first time he's ever told his followers that this was going to happen to him. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him and with his disciples said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit the soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This is a crazy story, isn't it? I mean, it starts off benign enough. It starts off with Jesus asking a simple question, trying to understand, you know, what his followers think about him. And it gets deep really fast. And it gets a little harsh even. We see that this disciple of Jesus, Peter, doesn't understand at all what's going on. He's, in fact, very confused. And as he's confused, he's trying to correct Jesus. Jesus gets upset at him. Jesus says, calls him even Satan. It's like, wait a second, what's going on there? Well, we're going to see continually that the disciples don't get it. This is the first time, this first exposure. And a few weeks later, our next story happens. And so the disciples are still trying to understand what's going on. But Jesus begins to lay down an idea here. 
he begins to lay down this idea that with God and with God, with how God is about to bring renewal and life and love in the world, the way God is going to do it is going to be through an upside-down sort of manner. And, and let's get this first thought on our screen here. The way God is going to bring renewal, can we get it on our screen? The way God is going to be, begin to bring renewal and life is through this first principle here, that dying to being in control is actually the way to actual living. You see that principle in this last paragraph here, right? He says in 35, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Now, we'll there's a lot to think about there, a lot to unpack. But let me just kind of give a little hint as to where I think Jesus is going to be taking this throughout these next three stories. This isn't about hating yourself. This isn't about self-mutilation. This is more about surrender. It's kind of like, let's pretend um, you're a homeowner and you have the key. Surrender means giving that key to Jesus. And saying, Jesus, this is all yours. Like, you just, my house is your house now. In fact, you can come in and do whatever you want. And this is kind of scary. I mean, let, let's get the next slide up if you can. can. I, mean, I mean, some of us, right, we think about our homes. We think about all that are in, that's in our homes. We think about the different rooms, things we want people to see, things we don't mind people seeing, things, other things we don't want people to see. And uh, when we give the key to Jesus, we're kind of saying, yeah, Jesus, like, I guess you can come in and take a look and look at everything and actually make yourself comfortable. And it, it gets a little, you know, nerve-wracking. But that's what it means to lose your life to Jesus. It's to hand over the keys, so to speak. Now, of course, the good thing, as we will learn, is that Jesus is a very wonderful and loving person. He's here to bring renewal and transformation. But that renewal and transformation can't happen unless we hand over the keys. Thought number one, as Jesus talks about this first Easter. Let's go to the second story here. This happens about two weeks later. And the story picks up and it goes like this. They, again, these 12 disciples and Jesus, left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. We'll read this a lot. We read it in the first story. We read it here in the second story. What's going on is Jesus now, again, he's been living for three years, doing miraculous things, amazing things, teaching about God and his love. So literally thousands of people are following him. Thousands of people are swarming around him. And so when Jesus needs to get serious and talk about difficult things, he tries to run away from the crowd and just focus on the disciples. That's what's going on. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. There it is, the second time he says this. But they, the disciples, did not understand what he was meaning, and they were afraid to ask him about it. They're probably afraid because the first time they asked him about it, like Jesus called one of them Satan, right? So, yeah. okay, we get it. You're afraid. I go, yeah, don't ask Jesus questions. It's kind of scary. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who 
was the greatest. Now, most scholars think they were arguing about who was the greatest because they were actually thinking, okay, hold on. If Jesus goes and he dies and all these things happen to him, well, who's going to take over? So who's the greatest among us? Who's going to take over? Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now, again, a lot is going on here. But I think what Jesus is trying to help us understand is, again, he unveils this first Easter idea. Principle number two here has to do with the readiness of our hearts and how open we are to loving in serving the least of the people around us. Children back in this time were not like children today. Today, we got like pottery barn kids, right? Like where you can pay thousands of dollars to buy something amazing for our kids. Back then, children were not seen that way. Children were kind of a menace. They were kind of a hassle. Children were like actually the least in their society. In our society, it's the opposite. Their children are the highest. But in that society, they were the least. And so Jesus is trying to say, you know, if, if you don't want to get serious about spirituality, if you want to experience spiritual life and life to the full, you have to get used to this idea of serving the least, of becoming like the least in order to experience greatness. Now, again, as you can imagine, this is only the second time these disciples have heard. You, we've already seen in this second instance, they're just confused about it all. They really don't know what's going on. They're afraid to ask Jesus because it seems like, wow, Jesus, you're a little too serious about this thing. Why are you so upset? And so, well, Jesus has to keep going. Story number three. And notice how this ends up because this, I think, is where Jesus finally gets to the bottom of the issue and tells us why he has to die and rise again. And this is going to be really important for us to catch because this is what makes everything else possible. And so they were on their way up to Jerusalem. This is now just a couple days after story number two, with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Interesting. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. It's a strange question. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in glory. So they're kind of understanding that, okay, Jesus is going to die. It's not about who's going to take over now. It's, he's, Jesus keeps telling us he's going to rise from the dead. Maybe he's going to heaven or something. Let's see who can sit next to him in heaven. Get the best seats. They're, they're thinking just like we always think, I think, right? Really interesting. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? The cup represents suffering. So can you suffer in the way I'm about to suffer? Or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Again, baptism is a symbol of suffering in this context. 
We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, the other disciples, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. We just heard that in the previous teaching, right? But notice what Jesus adds here. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In this third story, Jesus kind of finally unpacks it all. And he gets to this final sentence that, as you can notice, wasn't in the previous two discussions. And in this final sentence, what Jesus is trying to tell us is, number one, why this whole Easter thing had to take place. And number two, how this Easter thing actually makes all the difference in our lives, even today. How it makes all the difference in terms of us living a spiritual life, us experiencing a fullness of life, us experiencing renewal. What does it mean that Jesus came not to be served but to serve? And specifically, what does it mean that he came to give his life as a ransom for many? I need three volunteers to come up to help me illustrate this really quick. Three volunteers. Sean, okay. Fanny, that's Fanny, right? Okay. And a third volunteer, third volunteer, Tim. All right, come on up, come on up. Let's give it up for these people. Stand right here, please. Um, where's Tim? There you are, Tim. Tim, you're going to stand right here. Um, I am going to, we're going to give Fanny, uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. Yeah. You saw the word. <laughs> Fanny, you can wear this, but turn around. Turn around and put it around your neck, please. And Sean, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to wear this one for now. Okay? Now, here's the deal. He's a method actor. Yeah, okay. When in, our, in, our, in our day and age today, when we think about ransoms, we think about an evil person Capturing an innocent person, can you grab Fanny by the arms gently? Like, kind of like, yeah, yeah. You, can, you can act it out like, I don't know how, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. All right, whatever. <laughs> Fanny's in theater, as, uh, as some of you may know. We think about a ransom working like this, right? An evil person captures an innocent person, and someone with big bucks. <laughs> someone with big bucks ends up paying the evil person so that the innocent person can come free, right? That's kind of how we think about it today, right? This, this is how ransoms work, right? Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Go back, go back to your places. And I need you to actually switch your name tags. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Okay. Now, here's the deal. In Jesus' time some 2,000 years ago, and you can look at your extra study notes uh, on the sheets today to, to get kind of just 
the, the scriptures some 2,000 years, years ago, their perspective was completely different. Back in that time, ransoms, this is how ransoms work. You had an innocent person that was wronged by an evil person. And so the innocent person would grab onto the evil person and demand that justice be paid. And so it could have been the evil person destroyed the innocent person's property, and so the innocent person had the right to hold on to the evil person. And when a person came for, to, to, get, to pay a ransom, the ransom was paid not to the evil person, but to the innocent person that was wronged. So that the evil person could mercifully go free. Okay? So it's the exact opposite. So now here's the deal. When Jesus says he's come to pay a ransom, let's think through this. What Jesus is saying is that God is the innocent person. We have harmed God. We have wronged God. And Jesus is here as a self-sacrificing ransom to give himself to God through his death so that we who are evil and who have wronged God can be free. That make sense? Let's give it up for our actors here. Thank you. Now here's the deal. When you think about this, and you think about how radical this actually is. I hope you can begin to see how this is the key to spirituality. Because here's the deal. Most of us in our spiritual journey, we are trying to figure out, man, we think there is something out there. We believe there's something bigger than us. And we know we are making whatever that person is upset. <laughs> We know we're not perfect. We know we don't have it together. We know that if there's somebody good out there, that person has to be perfectly good, perfectly loving, perfect in every way, and we know we're not. And one of the biggest hurdles of a basic spirituality is how can I even be in this perfect person's being, presence? How can I even have a relationship with this perfect person? How is it even possible? And Jesus came and brought about the first Easter the first death and resurrection so that we could have this relationship, so that us in our wrongdoing against God could be free of that wrongdoing, to be free of the consequences, free of the guilt, free of the judgment, free of all that was supposed to be ours. And that freedom is what enables us to begin to have a thriving, rejuvenating spirituality. I wonder, I wonder for us here this morning, how many of us this week, even just this week, how many of us this week, how many of us were dealing with guilt? How many of us were dealing with shame? How many of us were feeling like, man, I just don't have my stuff together, and if there is a God, surely this God 
is not happy with me. Surely this God is getting tired of me. Surely this God has other much better people to worry himself with, listen to their prayers, not my prayers, because just, I just don't have it together. Do you know that Jesus came to take away that problem for us? Do you know that Jesus came to give us life? Thank you. Thank you. Even the least, even the children. We just read a story about children, right? No. I want you to turn to your neighbor really quickly, your table, par- your table partners, and just for the next minute or so, just process, with, process this with me. What, what, about, what about what we're talking about here today makes sense to you? What is hitting you personally? How could this even be transformative in your own life? About one minute, turn to your table partner. Let's process real quick. Maybe you feel like a little bit like the first followers of Jesus here as they were trying to understand Jesus. Uh, As you can tell in our stories, they were confused. This was pretty complicated in some ways. It was pretty deep. They had plenty of misunderstandings. And so maybe as you're processing all that we've discussed here, you're just like, wow, this, this is a little too much to chew on. And that's okay. That's okay. Jesus was very gracious and patient with these followers. Uh, as you read through the rest of the story, you realize, like, they still, they still don't get it after it actually happens. After they, Jesus dies and rises from the dead, we read constantly that multiple people are still doubting. Like, what? Why did he do this? What was he trying to say? So it, this is a process for sure. But as we just try to grab some nuggets from even this introduction this morning, I want us to come back to those three points we put on the screen just to make sure we're processing where I think these initial stories were going. Number one, the first story. There is a dying to self-control that needs to happen in order for us to experience renewal and spiritual life. There's a surrendering of the key. Is God inviting you perhaps today to consider surrendering your key? The second story, there's this need to see the least of these and give ourselves to the least of these in order to be great. Is God inviting us? Is God inviting you to enter into that space? and love and serve the least of these. But here's the deal, and this is point number three with this third story. None of this is possible unless God does something for us first. We can't serve others, we can't love others, we can't give ourselves away until we are freed from our selfishness, we're freed from our fear, we're freed from us, all our mistakes and all our just imperfections, we can't do any of that until we receive God's great love and service and ransom for us. So challenge number three here today is, do you need to receive that ransom? Do you need to just say, yeah, God, wow, please, I I receive that ransom. And so, God, we are thankful for this time. 
We're thankful for this time to hit pause and reflect on this spring season, on Easter, and specifically on that that first Easter and, and the meaning behind it all. God, we're, we're in need of renewal in our lives. We're in need of a sense of new life, a sense of hope. God, would you help us to continue to hear what you have to say to us through Jesus and receive and embrace it for us today. Thank you so much for this time. And it's through you we pray these things. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for today's conversation. For more information about Ethnos New Brunswick, please visit us at ethnosmb.com.